Well, as I've shared here before, um, I, I came to, uh, to Christ at a time in kind of American Christian culture um, that I would say tended to perpetuate what I now consider to be a limited uh, presentation of the gospel and what it means to be saved. There was uh, much more emphasis on Jesus as Savior than Jesus as Lord. There's a lot more emphasis on faith than action. And not that it was necessarily wrong material. I think it was just a little bit limited in, in, in hindsight. And so I kind of had that going on. And, and some of us maybe kind of grew up in a similar type culture or understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. And then kind of hold that intention also with this other reality that we all face on our faith journey. That none of us, when we begin our walk with Christ really know exactly what it is that we're signing up for. There's only so much we can understand in the beginning. Much of what we learn about our faith can only be done through experiencing some things in life kind of along the way and by the the steady uh, maturation process that we all undergo. This truth is what's known as progressive revelation. It's kind of this knowledge um, that as we mature and grow in our faith, that God continually reveals more and more of himself and more and more of the expectations that he has for us as his disciples. That the basic premise is that we probably couldn't handle the whole enchilada of Christianity in one dose, okay? So it's no different than what happens on, on our wedding day. Those of you that have been married, you stand up on that stage and you look at another person and you pledge to love and serve them your whole life. But you really can only make that, those vows in the context of your current reality that day. Because you really have no idea what it would mean to love your spouse someday when they go through just a horrible phase of depression. Or maybe they get some kind of illness or maybe some kind of um, injury where they end up in a wheelchair or lose their mental capacity. That kind of love can only be kind of discovered in the midst of the trial where where you're either going to rise to the challenge or maybe crumble under the weight of of that challenge. So that's kind of the backdrop I want you to kind of hang on as we talk about this today, this idea that when we come into our faith, like a lot of things in life, we don't really fully understand maybe what it is that, that God is expecting of us. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 25. We've been there for a couple weeks now. It's page 902. And we've been looking at these six parables here these last six weeks uh, that Jesus told during the last week of his life. And today we're going to be looking at the parable of the sheep and the goats, which is pretty familiar, um, but also very misrepresented or misinterpreted story. So this parable is part of the same discourse called the Olivet Discourse that Jesus has been on since the beginning of chapter 24. Okay, and this is um, a conversation that Jesus is having with just his disciples. So all three of the parables that we've looked at in chapter 25 have centered around the second coming of Christ and are parables of warning and judgment. Now, when people hear the word judgment, uh, usually there's kind of this reaction of that word can kind of just come across as harsh, 
right? But I want you to really understand God's heart here is that this is really, these warnings are coming out of love. Remember where we are in the journey here. This, 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 this conversation has taken place on Wednesday of the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus knows that in 24 hours he's going to be arrested and put on trial. He knows in 48 hours he's going to be dead. And so Jesus is desperately trying to warn his followers about some of the challenges and some of the trials that are going to happen as they begin to establish what will be known as the first Christian church. So there's this desperateness in him. And the first parable that we read about the, the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids was this parable about being ready, being alert, being awake when the bride, Jesus, comes. Because when he comes, that parable says that the, the door to the kingdom is going to be shut. And if you're not in, that there's nothing that you can do about that at that point. Okay, the second parable we looked at, Justin spoke on last week, looks at what does that readiness look like? What does it look like to be ready? And what we looked at that story was looking at this idea of producing fruit, that we were going to be good stewards of the abilities and the gifts and the resources that God entrusted uh, with us, okay? So there's this sense of that's what readiness is going to be look like. You're engaged in, in the kingdom's business, okay? And we talked about that last week. Jesus said, because those who waste what they've been given, it says, will be cast out into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pretty gruesome, Okay? The final parable that we're going to look at today answers the question, what does fruitfulness look like? And we'll come to find today that it means to be full of mercy and compassion and hospitality. And this parable says that if we fail to produce that fruit, this parable warns that there will be eternal fire and eternal punishment for those people. So three parables, okay, be ready, be fruitful, be compassionate as we wait for the Lord. Now, I'm also going to shoot you straight today that we're going to fly over this parable at 30,000 feet, okay? So we're going to be, reach our cruising altitude because if you, you could get lost in the weeds of this parable for a long time. There's a lot theologically going on here, and you could go down a lot of different rabbit trails, but I want to make sure that we don't miss the heart behind what Jesus is trying to say. So we're going to stay at a pretty high level on this, okay? Let's go ahead and we're going to read the whole story. Um, starting down there in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and, I gave you something to, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, or gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. 
They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So sometimes we can look at this story and it can be kind of reduced, or people tend to reduce it down to whoever takes care of the needy go to heaven, and whoever doesn't goes to hell. And, and you see it get used in that way a lot, but that's really not the point of the story at all. So we're going to chip away a little bit at this uh, kind of a bite at a time. So Jesus starts out by saying that he will come in his glory. So that's a promise that he's going to return, and that his returning is going to look a whole lot different than his first coming. Okay, when he came for the first time, he came as a helpless child, you know, being born in, in, in the stable. When he comes again, he's going to come as a victorious king. The first time he came to redeem humanity from their sin. The second time he's going to come to judge us for our sin. Paul described that day in, in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 10. He says, God is just. He will pay back trouble. He's talking to the people in Thessalonica, the Christians will pay back trouble for those who trouble you and will give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Okay? So I love it when, when Scripture, um, you know, continues to validate the things that Jesus says, continues to say, yes, this is going to be the reality. This is what it's going to be like. So Jesus paints this scene in, in the parable of this great judgment, and he's sitting on his throne and says all the nations of the world are gathered before him, and he's separating people. It says he's putting the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And in biblical language, to be on the right of the king is to be kind of in an honored or favored position. There's something that the sheep have done that has pleased the king. The king says to the people on his right, come you who are blessed. Okay, to be blessed means that you are a child of God. You are one of God's chosen people. You're one of his followers. For, the reason why you're blessed, for, verse 35, you have shown yourself, you've shown yourself to be one of my true followers because you've done the things that I did. You provided, you clothed, you welcomed, you visited those in need. Now let's ponder a question for a moment. It's a big one. How does a person know they are saved? How does a person know they are saved? How do you know personally, or how would you tell somebody else, yep, you're good? This is a pretty big question. We better have an answer. What do you think? Yes, Justin, give me something. Okay. Their life, does it look like someone who has been changed by Christ, or does it look like doing something that's in the world? 
Okay, good. So you'll be known by your fruit. We've been talking about that here. Like there should be some kind of change or transformation. Your life should start looking like Jesus more and more and more and more, right? There should be evidence of that. Okay, good. Anything else? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. So you confess with your tongue, right? Believe it. Okay. Then and you will be saved. All right. So so there's a little bit of a combination here of faith and action, right? That our life should be producing fruit. We should be going out and, and doing things that show that we have come to know Christ. Okay. Anything else? DJ. Okay. So the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, right? And so you begin to, to operate in a different way because you're being led by the Spirit instead of led by your flesh. Okay. Good. All right, we're getting there. Not too shabby, Wellspring. Good job, okay? So here's the bottom line, right, is that we can't just pray a prayer to receive Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're saved, okay? We can't just believe a a certain list of things about him. I believe that he was God. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose again. That's all nice that you believe that. That doesn't necessarily mean that you were saved, Because we can't do those things and then just live life any way we want, right? We have to obey his commands. Many times he says, you know, this is how I know people love me. They obey my commands, okay, and do the things that Jesus did. Now, obeying doesn't save us, okay? Only Christ's blood can save us, but it's evidence that we are saved, evidence that our heart has changed, evidence that our general will is that I want to please God now, instead of myself or even others. Pleasing God is my kind of driving force in life now, okay? So Jesus showers the sheep with praise. And in in the story, it's like the sheep are a little bit taken back. In verse 37, they kind of respond with this, well, when did we do those things? Like, and, and there's a couple things going on here. One is this kind of humble spirit about them. You can tell that the sheep aren't keeping track of all of their righteous acts and patting themselves on the back, okay? Uh, Showing compassion and mercy is just who they are. It's become second nature for them as they become followers of Christ. It's not something they're even consciously aware of because they're just so much like their Savior. Did you notice in verse 37 that it said, the righteous will answer? This is really important. It says the righteous will answer, not just the do-gooders, or, or the, the socially conscious and engaged. <laughs> and what that means is that not just anyone who does compassionate work in our world is considered righteous and lumped into that blessed crowd, okay? Because there has to be this surrendering. There has to be this acknowledgement that I'm a sinner and I need a savior, <laughs> Okay, just because you go and do nice things for people as one human might for another doesn't mean that you are 
in God's family that you've been saved, that you're considered righteous, because our righteousness comes from Jesus' blood, not from the good things we do, okay? In verse 40, I want you guys to look at this. In verse 40, who does Jesus say the sheep provided those things for? Let's not belabor this. Just throw a hand up. Answer the question. Almost. But yeah, but there's another qualifier. Brothers and sisters of mine. Okay, so who are Jesus' brothers and sisters? Is that literal? What does that mean? Another part of Scripture, Jesus says, who are my brothers and sisters? They are what? Those who do my Father's will. Okay, so the sheep are providing compassion and mercy and, and all these, you know, feeding, clothing, all those things for Christ followers. Okay? So that is our first calling of hospitality. Our first calling of hospitality is to take care of the needs of the people in the family of God. But we all know that the calling doesn't end there, right? Because the second command, Jesus says, is love your neighbor as yourself. And that means strangers. That means enemies, right? Jesus says, you know, love your enemies and pray for them, care for them, okay? So for the folks on the left, the goats on the story, what is their real crime? What is their crime? And it's really the crime of every person in all three parables that we've had so far. Phil? Okay, selfishness. Okay, that's one way of putting it for sure. Yeah. Lack of action, okay, good. A word that I, I kind of popped onto was just indifference, okay? But that's exactly the heart, right? It's their indifference to the suffering, right? Indifference is the recurring, reoccurring theme in each of these three parables in chapter 25. All of the parables are about some people in the story and what they didn't do, okay? They didn't come prepared, with the extra oil to be ready for when the bride came. They didn't steward their resources well. They didn't go and multiply it. They didn't serve and care for the poor and vulnerable. It was the sins of omission that tripped them up. Okay? So it means it's not always just the things we do uh, that, that, that are sinful. It's also some things that we should be doing but we don't. Okay? That are also just as troubling. <laughs> Later writers in the New Testament kind of hammer away at this theme as well. A couple verses here. James 2, 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Then 1 John. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You see, those things have to line up. What it is we say we believe and who we're following, and we have to act out on those things. It's simply not okay to be indifferent towards the lost and suffering. And guys, the reality is, is that millions of people in this world got up this morning and they drove to church and they sang their songs and they heard their sermons and they'll get back in their car and they'll drive home and nothing will change. And they'll sit around lunch and they'll, they'll think about or maybe have a conversation, oh, what song did you like today? Did you like what the pastor had to say today? And they'll sit there and nitpick and critique and 
but the nothing has changed in them. They're self-absorbed. They're not asking the question, well, what did the church prepare me to do this week? Who did it prepare me to be to my neighbor this week? It reminds me of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus tells the story of people at the judgment that will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, you know, did we not you know, heal those diseases and cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will, will know, guys, yeah, you did, but you did it with the wrong motives, with the wrong heart. And so he replies to him, I never knew you. You see, Jesus doesn't ask us to do great things for him. Mother Teresa said it best. She said, we cannot do great things on this earth, only small things with great love. You see, Jesus asks just for daily, simple acts of love. To feed, to clothe, to visit, to invite, to care. John 13, 35 says this. Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you go to church, not if you pay your tithe, not if you only listen to Christian music, not if you wear your Patrick Mahomes jersey, okay? Not if you play in the band, not if you give a sermon, if you love and as I was thinking about it this week, I, I was thinking about just, gosh, what is the disconnect for us sometimes, I think? When you think about this parable, I think for us today, right now, one of the challenges for us is that we look around, and when it comes to the poor and the vulnerable in our country, there are a lot of, of resources there for them. If they're hungry, you know, they, they, government gives them food stamps to use. They can go to a food kitchen. If they need clothes, there's clothing closets all over the place, right? Some of their, if they have bills that need to be paid, there's different agencies that can help with that. And so it seems like in some way their needs are kind of met and that maybe we're kind of let off the hook a little bit. So I was thinking, maybe we need to redefine Jesus's call to better fit our context. So maybe in America in 2019, Jesus would say some things like this. I was emotionally burdened, and you got involved in my life. You listened. You made yourself available for me. I was a slave to drugs or abusive relationships, and you walked with me towards healing. You stayed up with me at night. You took me to my recovery meetings. You let me live with you for a while until I could get back on my feet. I was anxious depressed, suicidal, you prayed with me, spoke words of hope to me, you paid for my counseling when I couldn't afford it, did whatever it took to see me healed and whole. And maybe in those contexts, as we respond to the hurting with the love of Christ, Jesus would look at us and say, I see the love of God in you. I see you being generous and hospitable, full of mercy sharing the good news of the grace and love of Christ, and I know it hasn't been easy. And I know that it demands a lot to care for those in need. It demands a lot in terms of time and energy and resources. But when you love those people well, you are loving me. Caring for the poor, the lost, the wounded, the broken is a sign that our hearts have been transformed. We're caring for things and for people that matter to the heart of God instead of our own self-interest. 
Pastor Matt Chandler said this, a heart that has been touched by the mercy of God freely and quietly extends mercy to others. It becomes second nature for us to be like Jesus to the point like the sheep in the story where we say, well, when did we do those things? We become unaware that loving people deeply is out of the ordinary. It's just who we are. And this conversation about caring for the poor and vulnerable, um, we could, we could kind of shift it over to, to sharing our faith as well. It's really kind of the same conversation. You see, because Jesus clearly commands in, in, in the, the Great Commission to all of us, right, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. But just like we can't be indifferent towards suffering in our world, we also can't be indifferent about sharing the good news of Christ to those who are spiritually lost. We can't just say, nah, I'm not into that. That's too scary, too out of my comfort zone. I'm just going to let Bob and Justin take care of that one, okay? As I've said it many times here, that we don't get to make the rules, Right? about what being a Christian requires. God makes the rules, and we follow them. This isn't cafeteria-style, pick-and-choose Christianity, right? We don't get our tray when we come to Jesus and go down the buffet line. Would you like a little bit of unconditional love? Oh, yes, I'd like a big heaping of that, right? How about some peace and some hope? Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, uh, do, do you like some caring for the poor and suffering? Ah, Maybe just put a little dab on there, and I'll, I'll taste it a little bit, and I'll come back if I want some more. How about uh, being in a small group, being in community with people? Oh, man, that sounds great. Yes, absolutely. Pile it on, right? Um, how about you bear the burdens of the people that you're in the community with? Ooh, ah, that sounds a little fatty. Maybe not. <laughs> right? It's kind of ridiculous when we, when we think of it in those terms, correct? But guys, as we're made aware of suffering and justice, we must take action. In the kingdom of God, we get a helping of all of it. <laughs> Everything that, that is on God's heart and concerns and burdens him is on our plate as well. Taking action is a sign that our hearts have been transformed by Christ, that we are his. And guys, that's why I talk about this sense of, of progressive revelation, okay? Because when I was 16 and I responded to Jesus because I knew I was lost and I couldn't save myself. I didn't understand a lot of things. I wasn't aware. But over the course of time, and, and it, it's different for every single person, it depends on a lot of different things, we become aware of injustices in this world. And when we are confronted with those things, we have to do something about it. I didn't know for a long time about the problem of of uh, orphans and kids in foster care in our country. But when I became aware, I, I became accountable. I, I didn't know a lot of how a lot of people in, in our city lived until I moved to St. Joe. I lived in suburbs most of my life where you were sheltered and shielded from a lot of that. And then you move here and you move into the neighborhood and it's like, oh, okay. And now I have to do something about it. I can't turn my eyes from it any longer or plead ignorance. Now, as we go down that line, so to speak, and Jesus puts some things on our plate, our portions might be a little bit different. 
And those portions could depend on a lot of things. It could depend on the context that you're in, your gifting, your age, your maturity, whatever it is. But we can't simply choose to be indifferent about certain things that matter to God just because they're hard. I'm going to say it again. We don't get to choose to be indifferent about certain things that matter to God just because they're hard. As a community of Christ followers, a church, we have this amazing opportunity to encourage one another to live into our true identity. Because you see, most of us here, I would imagine, we are in that group. We're, we're the sheep. We're the people that have surrendered our life to Christ and our desire is to grow in these areas. We're not perfect. We, we get it wrong sometimes. But in these stories, we are the faithful bridemaids who were ready. We are the, the person who's the faithful steward who's, who's taking the resources God has given them and multiplying them for the kingdom. We're the faithful sheep who show mercy and compassion to the hurting. Sometimes we just need a reminder that that's who we are, to live into that, what's true about us. And so sometimes as a faith community, we, we, we do that. We do a lot of that, a lot of encouraging what I see in people. Man, I remind them who they are and what God has said that they're going to do with their life. But we also have to warn. Out of love, we have to warn the in, indifferent, the unprepared, the lazy. <laughs> we need to be about the Father's business here, guys. This is serious. <laughs> to have a real encounter with Jesus so that we know the things that matter most to him. And guys, I'll just be honest with you, across, you know, 30-something years and being in a lot of leadership positions, I've had to have some really hard, uncomfortable conversations with people where I've basically kind of questioned their faith. And, and as Justin said earlier, like, I don't know everybody's heart, so I can't just point blank say you're not a Christian. But I can say I'm having a hard time finding some evidence of transformation in your life. I'm looking for the fruit, and I just, I don't know. I, I'm not seeing it. There should be fruit, generosity, compassion, love, mercy, grace should not be hard to find in those who have been touched by the grace, mercy, and love of Jesus. That's kind of the point of the story, man. If you're, if you're my sheep, you should be doing these things. It should just overflow from you because of what God has done for you. You were thirsty and he gave you something to drink. You were hungry and he fed you spiritually, right? Sometimes physically as well. You were lonely, and he was there for you. He sat with you. He listened to you. He cared for you. Now you go and do those things because that meant so much to you. How could you not do those things for somebody else? Guys, as we march towards Easter Sunday, a couple things this week is, one, we have to sit in our junk Right? Easter Sunday is not going to be that exciting if we haven't spent some time this week kind of meditating on the fact that, that he had to die. <laughs> he had to die because of my sin. Because I wanted to do life the way I wanted to do it. And that, that demanded a price be paid to satisfy the wrath of God. And so an innocent man died in my place. We have to sit in that. So I hope as you spend time with God this week that you, you take some time to ponder that, that truth, and feel the weight and the heaviness of that. Okay? What I, what's so encouraging about these parables that we've been going through 
is that Jesus is talking so confidently about his second coming, right? And in order for him to come again, he has to, to be alive, which means the resurrection has to happen. And so he's already looking past the resurrection. Now 2,000 years plus past to that time when he's going to come again. And so we get a lot of confidence reading this because Jesus speaks so confidently about, I'm, I'm not even talking about the resurrection, right? I'm talking about what's going to happen a couple thousand, three thousand, who knows how long, down the road. Eternity, right? And so we get confidence from the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in scripture today. And God, I just confess my own indifference even when sometimes I've been confronted with the reality 